Now turn with me tonight in your Bible to Romans chapter 10. As you're turning to the place, we're delighted to see you. I do thank you for coming and for those who are visiting with us, for those who are here for the very first time, we're really delighted that you've come tonight. There are some folks who are absent and our thoughts and prayers are with them. A variety of illnesses and things have stopped them from being present in the house of God. But we're so thankful that you've been able to come and we appreciate that very much. So whether you've come for near or far, we're really glad to see you. Let's read from Romans chapter 10, reading from verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they have been ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to every one that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or, Who shall descend into the deep? That is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thine heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We'll end the reading there at verse 17, and we pray that the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text tonight is taken from Romans chapter 10, verse 13. And my theme this evening is entitled, Understanding God's Invitation to Man. Now, this was the text that we presented at the Let the Bible Speak broadcast on Monday night. So the men who were there are hearing it again, and they may be able to pick up on something afresh. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 is a wonderful text of Scripture. 
one that is very well known and familiar to God's people everywhere. In fact, these words are a quotation of the prophet Joel in the end of Joel chapter 2 and in the verse 32. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be delivered. It's also quoted by the apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2 verse 21 as he preached on the day of Pentecost. And of course, this text of Scripture has been used by many gospel preachers to teach and instruct individuals on how to be saved. They have used this portion of Scripture to urge awakened souls to call on Christ. Listen to the words, For whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And as I thought of this little text of Scripture preparing it in particular for Monday night and let the Bible speak broadcast, there was four things that come to mind. The first thing that I want to set before you is the necessity of the invitation. Look at the words at the end of the text, shall be saved. Isn't it interesting? The word saved is also the same word that the Apostle Peter used on the day of Pentecost as he preached Christ to the people. I want you to think of the usage of that word saved. You see, it's an important Bible word. Did you know that the Lord Jesus used the word saved in his ministry? John chapter 10 verse 9, I am the door, by me if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The apostle Paul used it. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And also whenever Paul was writing to Titus, he said to Titus in Titus chapter 3 and in the verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And also, whenever the Philippian jailer, who was awakened out of his sleep by an earthquake, and he called on Paul and Silas, from the prison house and remember what he asked sirs what must I do to be saved and how did they answer believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house now why am I quoting these various references to you to point out that the word saved is a bible word it's a very important Bible word. You see, many today who are liberals and modernists, whenever it comes to preaching the word of God, they do not like this word saved. They do not use the word saved. The word saved is devoid 
even of their preaching. They view the word saved as a meaningless religious jargon. But it's not. It's a Holy Ghost-inspired word. Now, it's interesting tonight. Remember, I've told you, Romans 10, 13 is a quotation from the prophet Joel. Now, did the word saved crop up in Joel's preaching? Look at the text. Joel chapter 2, verse 32. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Now, that's interesting. Because in the context of Joel 2.32, in the contextual usage of the word delivered, he meant a deliverance from the impending wrath of God in the last days. Therefore, the word delivered or the word saved in reference to its usage speaks of a spiritual deliverance from the wrath of God. Now, think of these words. To be saved. How do we understand it? What do we mean by it? Once we grasp the usage, then what is meant by it? Well, you think tonight of an individual trapped in a burning building. There's a raging inferno all around them. They are in danger of being burnt to death. Well, what do they need to be? They need to be delivered. They need to be saved from it. You think of an individual who has fallen into a river, maybe from off a little boat or a big ship, or who's maybe been swimming in a lake and got into difficulty. Well, what do they need? They need to be saved from that watery grave. And of course, that's how the Bible uses this word saved. That's what the Lord Jesus meant. That's what the Apostle Paul meant in Ephesians 2 verse 8. That's what he meant whenever he was writing to Titus. That's how the Philippian jailer understood it. And that was Paul's answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thine house. If I ask tonight this question, what is man's greatest need? You think of that. The answer is to be saved. And what does that mean? There's a fourfold aspect to the word saved. It means saved from the power and the punishment and the pleasure and one day from the presence of sin. Saved from sin and its eternal consequences. If you look with me at Romans chapter 10, Paul used the word saved. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to Israel is that they might be saved. He used the same word again in verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and to believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And I hear in 13, every time Paul used it, it was the same meaning. It's being saved from sin's penalty. What is sin's penalty? Well, it's death. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. What does that mean? It means we're going to die physically. And you're already spiritually dead to God. And you're in danger of eternal death and separation. Also saved from sin's power. 
It was John Wesley that coined the little phrase, he breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. Whenever the Lord Jesus saves you, he saves you from being under the control and the dominion of sin. He also saves us from sin's pleasure. He takes the love of sinning out of our hearts. A truly born again Christian has a hatred for sin, a loathing of it. He, he's sorry for his sin, he mourns his sin, and he has a love for doing that which is right. He begins to be like the Lord Jesus. Remember, he hated iniquity and loved righteousness. And one day, of course, we'll be saved from sin's very presence. Because all who are found in Christ have the assurance that one day they'll go to be with Christ in heaven forever and ever. And not only will their soul be saved, but one day their old body is going to be saved. Do you know that in the day of resurrection, everyone who dies in Christ, they're going to be given a new glorious body like unto the Lord Jesus. And body and soul and spirit, they forever will be with the Lord. It's interesting when you think of the context here. What does he say in verse 12? For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. He's thinking of the world of Jews and the world of Greeks. And this is how the ancient world was divided. It was uh, looked upon as the world of the Jewish people and, and the world of the Gentiles. And remember, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, we're all sinners before God. Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Do you know that tonight that all men in the world, every creature, regardless of color, class, or creed, do you know that we're connected to Adam? Do you know that we're connected to Adam naturally? Isn't this what the Bible teaches in the book of Acts? In Acts chapter 17 and verse 26, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell in all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Do, do you understand what that means? That, that means that naturally we're connected to Adam. Adam was the first man. Adam is really the father of all humanity. And we can trace our genealogy back to him if we go back far enough. That means that evolution's a lie. We didn't come from apes and monkeys. We haven't involved. In, in fact, God has made us very complex and special and wonderful creatures. Do you know that we're in Adam spiritually? The Bible says, as in Adam, all die. We're all subject to death. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And who was that one man? It was Adam. And when Adam sinned, we sinned in him. When Adam fell, we fell in him. When Adam was, was, was judged and sentenced by God, we too were sentenced and judged in him. And God sees us in Adam representatively. He is the, the head of the human race. We're viewed and treated by God in the loins of Adam. Do you know that all men tonight are born sinners by nature and practice? 
Let's think for a little minute of what sin is. Who defines sin? The Bible says sin is the transgression of the law, 1 John 3 and 4. The Bible tells us that sin is knowing to do good and doing it not, James 4 and 17. The Bible tells us that all unrighteousness is sin, 1 John 5 and 17. The Bible tells us whatsoever is not of faith is of sin, Romans 14 and 23. You see, when we think of sin, we think of murder, we think of adultery, we think of theft, we think of sodomy, we think of fornication. And these are all violations of the law of God. Sin's the transgression of the law of God. But think about unbelief. Think about not loving God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Think about not believing on him. Think of covetousness and jealousy and bitterness All of these things in his sight constitute sin. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. We're all sinners. We've all sinned against God. We're all subject to death for the wages of sin is death. And we have all got an immortal soul. Isn't this what Mark 8.36 tells us? For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And and here's the thought. In light of all this commonality with Adam, in him naturally, in him spiritually, branded sinners subject to death with a mortal soul, then we need to be saved. Here's man's greatest need. We need to be saved. We need to be delivered from the wrath to come. In fact, the Bible tells us, flee from the wrath to come. There's a little story told, and I told this on Monday night, that the great Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was preaching in an Anglican church. The church was packed. It was in Oxford. And and afterwards, they decided to have a question-and-answer session in a room. Dr. Jones got into the room. It was packed as well. And, of course, there were some students there, and students can attempt to be very smart. And, And this young fellow got up, and he said that he could easily deduce that the sermon that Dr. Jones had preached could have been preached to a congregation of farm laborers or anyone else for that matter. What had Dr. Jones got to say about that? And Dr. Jones replied that he regarded the graduates and the undergraduates of Oxford to be ordinary human clay. And miserable sinners like anyone else who needed to be saved. The necessity of the invitation. Think very quickly and secondly, the simplicity of the invitation. Notice these words, call upon the name of the Lord. The context here is those who hear the gospel and acquaint it with the great facts about the personal work of Christ. Those whose hearts have been awakened to uh, repent and believe the good news of the gospel. What men have now heard. What men have begun to know because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And they're now urged to act upon what they've heard and what they know. And how do they act upon what they've heard and what they know? Well, here's the answer. To call in the name of the Lord. Now, calling in the name of the Lord has been going on for a very, very long time. In fact, it stretches away back to the book of beginning. Listen to this text in Genesis 4, verse 26 
And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. You see, there was an awakening in the days of Seth. There was a move of the Holy Ghost. There was a gracious work of God in the hearts and souls of men. Whenever Seth begat Enos, Enos, by the way, means frail and weak. This was a reminder to men and women of their true state and condition before God. They were made to think about their fragility. They were made to think about their mortality. They were made to think about their uncertainty in life. They were made to think about their depravity. And in light of being made alive to their state and condition before God, then at that time, and the word then is hotan, which means at that exact moment, men began to call on the name of the Lord. And you see, here's the teaching of the Bible. If any man, any woman wants to be saved from the penalty of sin, which is death, the power of sin, the pleasure of sin, and one day from its presence delivered from sin and its eternal consequences, then this is what they have to do. They have to call on the name of the Lord. And if I was to ask tonight, why do men need to call on the name of the Lord? Here's the answer. In order to be saved. And this is fundamental. This is foundational. This is elementary to the gospel. Let me state this tonight. And I said this in Lurgan. The gospel is not a few tips on how to live a happy, fulfilled life. The gospel is not merely an invitation to join a church. Joining a church doesn't make you a Christian. The gospel is not about obeying a set of rules. It's not about trying to keep the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments can't save you. The Ten Commandments should show you how sinful you are before God. It's not about conforming to a religious code or following a set of church rites and ceremonies. The gospel tonight is grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ. There's a, a Savior has been born for us. There's a Savior who lived a perfect sinless life for us. A Savior who died an atoning death on the cross for us. Who shed his precious blood for us. Who has rose again bodily from the dead for us. Who now lives for us in the power of an endless life. And who now instructs us. Who now teaches us. Call in the name of the Lord. See this can't be misunderstood. It can't be misrepresented. It can't be misread. You're not invited to call on a church. It's not the church that saves, it's Christ. You're not invited to call on the pastor or the Pope for that matter or the Virgin Mary. It doesn't say that. It says call on the name of the Lord. See, remember Acts 4 verse 12. Peter said, Neither is there salvation in any other for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now think of this name. Call on the name of the Lord. Notice it's got a capital L. And you see that name demands comprehension. It demands thought. You, you, you've got to think who is being spoken about and why. And you've got to think of the person and work of Christ. Because God has given this one name for men to call upon in order to be saved. 
The Bible teaches holy and reverent is his name. His name has been revealed. His name has been given. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, Matthew 1, 21, for he shall save his people from their sins. His name tonight's above every other name. And do you know that one day in this world's history, every knee shall bow things in heaven, including the holy angels, things in earth, Things under the earth, even those in hell itself, the devil and every demon, every Christ rejecter, every sinner in hell, one day will bow the knee. And they will not only bow the knee, but declare with their tongue and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Now maybe you're thinking, well, how do I call in the name of the Lord? Call sincerely. Do you des- are you desirous of the Lord tonight? Do, do you want to be saved? You call believingly, linking up to the word Call in the name of the Lord is this text, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. The word believeth is used a number of times in Romans chapter 10. And remember, this is a gift of God. The word believeth is present continuous tense. It means to trust in and adhere to and rely on Christ alone for salvation. And also you call penitently. You you call out of a felt need. You, You call out of being truly sorry for your sin, all sin and every sin, sins of thought and word and deed, every known sin, secret sin, presumption sin. Isn't it wonderful tonight when you read the Bible that you come across individuals who have called in the name of the Lord? They have heard this invitation. Think of a woman that prayed, Matthew 15 and 25, Lord, help me. There's a woman facing a big calamity in her family. She's a problem with her daughter. The devils took control of her daughter. She's in pain and agony of soul. She's burdened. She's broken. Is, is there any help for me? Yes, there's help in the Lord. And, and she goes to him. She's just honoring Christ when she says, Lord, help me. And he ended up, even though she was a, a Canaanitish woman from Syrophoenicia, he commended her for her faith. Remember Peter? He was in a storm situation. He gets out of the boat to walk in the water to the Lord Jesus. And he sees the wind and the waves. He takes his eyes of Christ. And what does he cry? Lord, save me, I perish. The Lord Jesus took him by the hand and immediately he was in the boat. Remember the dying thief? Think of him. It's a wonderful story. He repented just before he died. Look, 23, 42. And what did he pray? Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. You see, there's the simplicity of the invitation. Notice quickly the, inv- the individuality of the invitation. Notice the word for whosoever. Now we'll pause there. You see, no matter who you are tonight, your name, your background, your station in life, whether you're rich or poor, educated, uneducated, healthy in body or sick in body, here's another wonderful gospel word. The word whosoever runs like a wonderful golden thread in the language of the Bible. The word whosoever, what does that mean? It means you or me or anyone else. You've heard the story of John Bunyan of Bedford, the Reverend John Bunyan. Did you know that his favorite text was John 6 and 37? All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And how do you come? Yes, you come believingly and penitently, and you come sincerely, but you come calling. John Bunyan spent 12 years in prison 
for preaching the gospel in the open air. That was his crime. And in prison, he wrote, of course, the tremendous book, Pilgrim's Progress. You should read it. He wrote another book called The Holy War. And some of his sermons are tremendous. One of them is entitled, The Jerusalem Sinner That Was Saved. And you see, when you think of John Bunyan tonight, and if you were to listen to his testimony, he was a man who was troubled by his sin. He was full of a sense of guilt and shame. And he was hesitant to come to Christ. He was hesitant to call upon him. Do you know why? He felt him far too sinful. And the weight of his sin kept him back. What is keeping you back from Christ? Do you think you're too sinful? Think you're too young? Maybe you think you're too old? Too bad. Thank God in John Bunyan's life, the Spirit of God was at work. The Holy Ghost applied the scripture, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Here was another scripture. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And John Bunyan became convicted of his sin, convinced of his need of Christ. And through John 6 and 37 was eventually converted. And he told in his testimony that he loved this word, whosoever. In fact, when he thought of John 3 and 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He praised the Lord and said, hallelujah. It says whosoever. Doesn't say John Bunyan. Do you know why? He didn't want it to say John Bunyan because he was thinking there's loads of John Bunyans in England. There could be loads more throughout other parts of the world. And if it said John Bunyan, then it might have been a different John Bunyan from me. And I wouldn't be sure if it meant me, but it doesn't say John Bunyan. It says, whosoever, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You, me, and anyone else. See, here's the individuality of the invitation. Now notice lastly, the reality of the invitation. Look again at the text. For whosoever shall call. Underline the word shall call. Upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you see the reality of this? It's not if or not a but or not a maybe, but it shall be. You see, it's absolutely certain. There's a clarity here. There's a reality here. Think of the reality of this experience of salvation. What's it based on? It's based on this divine promise. It's a faithful promise, a sure promise, a promise that God will not go back in his word. See, God will not fail anyone who calls upon him sincerely, Believingly, penitently, he didn't do it for John Bunyan. Remember the woman that had a difficulty in the context of her family, daughter taken over by the devil? And there are many young daughters like that tonight, many young sons like that tonight. Some of you have loved ones without a Christ. And what do you do in your despair? You go to the Lord, Lord, help me. Whenever Peter was sinking, he cried, Lord, save me. The dying thief, Lord, remember me. Think of me. 
You see, one of life's greatest blessings tonight is not only to be saved from sin's penalty and power and pleasure and one day from its presence, but the moment you get saved, you enter into a wonderful relationship with the Lord Jesus as the shepherd and bishop of your soul. And one of life's greatest blessings is to have the presence of the Lord with you. To know that your sins are forgiven. You've got a full and free and forever pardon. You have peace with God. Not only with God, but the peace of God in changing circumstances. And you've got the power of God at work in your life. And you've got the prospect of a bright future. Because one day those in Christ go to be with Christ for all eternity. And I leave this little thought with you. The Lord has blessed it to my heart. Think of the summary of the Christian life. It's a grand thing to be a Christian. It's wonderful to be saved. The reality of it. It's the best life. Think of being brought into Christ. One day you're without Christ. And now you're put into him. You're in Christ. That was Pauline preaching 90 times. He used those words, in Christ. And those that are in Christ, well, what do they do? They live for Christ. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. That was a summary of his life. And if you're a Christian, you should be living for Christ. Lord, help me to live for you. You can pray that as a prayer. And, and how do you do it? Where do you get the strength? Well, I could never do this or not. Well, the answer is through Christ. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And those in Christ who live for Christ, through Christ, they have the assurance that one day they go to be with Christ, which is far better. Here's this little text. It's a very familiar text, and I've tried to open it up. Some preachers have failed and open it up, but I've tried my best. The necessity of the invitation, be saved. Think about the simplicity. I call upon the name of the Lord. Think of the individuality for whosoever you could call tonight. Think about the reality, shall be. It's wonderful. And we commend the name and the life of Christ and being a Christian to you. May the Lord bless you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening this evening.